1: Russell Westbrook is off to Houston.
0: It's going to be scary. Not for us. <laughs> hey,
1: no! James Harden just caught a body here in Los Angeles. And Westbrook is off the
0: freeway. What's up, guys? Welcome to this podcast. My name is Solmon Elite at Solmon Elite NBA on Twitter. This podcast is being brought to you by betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. Today's podcast is going to be with Matt Moore of the Action Network. Great guest, we've had him on a few times. Uh, I'm sure all of you guys are already following him on Twitter at HP Basketball. Uh, really into betting. But actually, they're really good X's and those guys, and I thought it'd be a great idea to bring them on to this podcast to talk about what the Rockets are doing with small ball, or as I like to call it, micro ball, and all the other intricacies about the stuff they did at the trade deadline, uh, adding Damari Carroll, how they look going into a playoff series, and all that other stuff. So this was a pretty good conversation, but again, I'll let you guys be the judge. So without further ado, here is the podcast. And we are joined by Matt Moore of the Action Network at HP Basketball on Twitter. How you doing, man? I'm doing all right, man. Enjoying the All-Star break. How are you? I'm doing all right. How is Chicago? Is it actually that cold there or was that just like the normal like it's just cool to complain about how cold it is at All-Star break now?
1: No, I think uh I mean it legitimately was that cold. Saturday morning was 1 degree with like a a wind chill of like minus 7. And that's 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 pretty cold. Um I accidentally I got to have a meeting on Friday and decided like, oh, um, there's this cool like crossover event at Navy Pier. I'm going to go ahead. Like it's only a mile. It's a little cold, but it'll be fine. And that was a tragic mistake uh, in my life that I made. Um, I should not have walked that. And then later my wife, who lived in Chicago, was like, you walked to Navy Pier, Matt, like it, it says the word pier in it. Which implies water. And you know, in Chicago, if you're next to the water, the wind's coming off of the lake. What are you doing? Um, in reality, it wasn't that bad. I will still say New York is still the coldest I have ever been. New York's All Star game was the coldest I have ever been. Not for an All Star game. I mean, in my life. Like, I live in Colorado. New York was the coldest I have ever been. And folks say Toronto was worse. I miss Toronto. Which I was not sad about, Um, but it was pretty. Chicago is a close second, uh, and I'm looking forward to Indiana and Cleveland in the years to come. So the hits keep coming for the NBA.
0: Yeah, why don't they keep this thing like down to coastal cities? Like, why not Houston, Phoenix, California? Why does it? Why do we have to include the northern cities here? To be clear,
1: I have I like the reason is you can't give Houston an All Star game and then not give. These other franchises, because they're going to be like, what about our city? Like, it's a huge economic boost. It's a huge moneymaker. Well, that's like, yeah, like we're in the league, too. So my thing is, you take one city and you just hold it there. And my suggestion is New Orleans. I've been to New Orleans for All-Star, I think twice, Mm -hmm. maybe three times, three times and all of them were spectacular. They are. It is perfect. The weather's great. The city can accommodate it. Everyone has a good time. It's culturally appropriate with the NBA. Uh, the arena is fine for hosting the activities. Everyone has a good time. It's great. Like All-Star Weekend is a big party. You should throw it somewhere that is good for throwing parties. Miami can't do it because they do not have the capacity. Like the, the Super Bowl is a great example of why they can't handle it logistically. They did it in L.A., but it was just like, L.A. was honestly too big for it. Like It just yeah. felt like another weekend there. Um, wasn't crazy about that. So I'm of the opinion, just hold, hold it New Orleans and have that be every year.
0: Yeah, and they actually do have the accommodation for that. So that makes a lot of sense. Are you a fan of All-Star Weekend generally? Is, is that like a thing of yours, or, or is that just something, it's just another event on the calendar that you have to attend?
1: Uh, it used to be something I really loved. Um, it's now gotten to be something I don't necessarily love um so i'm probably gonna change after the elam ending because my the plan that i had figured out the last couple of years was you fly in thursday night uh you go to all the events on friday because there's usually a bunch of cool stuff going on friday um not the rising stars but like nba events um you go to the media availability which used to be on friday used to be two there used to be two media availabilities now there's only one which sucks um either the Saturday night and then you cap it all off with Saturday night, which is awesome. Three-point contest, dunk contest. You could say you were there for all that stuff. The skills contest. It's a lot of fun. And then you leave Sunday morning when the, the flights are cheaper, the airport's empty, there's nothing going on, there's no media availability at actual All-Star game, there's nothing for you to do. You can't get anything good, so you might as well just go home and watch it from home. But now the Elam ending, I'm like, it was so exciting, I kind of wished I was in the building for it, so we'll see if that changes next year. Um, I hate the All-Star game usually because they don't try, but they tried this year, so if that happens going forward, maybe I'll get back in on it. In general, like I live for the regular season. I live for the playoff matchups. I live for the playoff seedings and the race and like magic numbers and all and the MVP race. So, like, I don't really like it. I understand it's necessary and everybody, like, the players really need it. But I'm not like super crazy about a weekend spent with 700 billion people all doing ridiculous things in a media setting uh, with the players who just generally want to be left alone to go party. It's not, I don't consider it to be a great time.
0: No, I'm with you. Like all-star Saturday night is, is always fun for me, and I was expecting S- Sunday night to be really boring as it is normally. And it's interesting that the tweaks they made to that game really slowed down the fourth quarter, and I felt like that was the biggest takeaway there. Like every possession felt really important, especially with the target score they put up there. Uh, I I think. The first three quarters, I mean, you're never going to get a competitive first three quarters with with these players. That's, that's just something you should come to expect. But that fourth quarter, like all the best players in the league uh, trying to compete for, I, I guess you, you call it charity, but really you're just comp- competing to see who's the best. And that to me, it felt really compelling that night. I'm hoping it stays the same because it felt like the All-Star game got competitive when you got to pick teams for one season and then the next season it went back to normal. So I'm hoping this stays the same.
1: Yeah. I mean, they're going to keep it. It was a huge success. Everyone loved it. Mm -hmm. Like everyone loved it. It was competitive. The all-stars tried. It was an actual like competitive environment. What you said about every possession mattering. I've been thinking about that a lot, right? Because I've been trying to think about what the, like I'm always thinking about what the difference is between the NFL and the NBA and they're not analogous and you can't really make them analogous um, for multiple reasons. But you can emulate certain things. Like, you want to at least use the things that make the NFL so popular conceptually and try and target those things. And one of the things is that in a football game, every single possession, every play feels super important. Like, it's second down and nine. They got to get this down to third and five or they're going to be facing third and long. Oh, it's third down and, and seven. They really need to pick up this first down so they can keep the momentum going. That really matters versus an average NBA game because there's 100 possessions, you just wind up feeling like a lot of it's filler. Like there's just – I know people that have told me like I don't pay attention to NBA games until the fourth quarter, and that's crazy to me because there's so much stuff to watch and, and focus on, but I'm also not that audience. So like the Elam ending created a situation in which every possession felt huge, and that's very rare. Like, that's only real for not just playoff games, but certain playoff games. Like, you have to get the like, game four of a playoff series before that feels that big of a deal. So that, to me, is the biggest win for the NBA, is that they created something in which every possession felt huge.
0: Yeah, and we could go deeper and deeper into this topic. It would, it would wind up talking about the length of the regular season, but I don't want to go there. That's a completely different conversation The last time I had you on the podcast, we discussed the Rockets offseason with a specific focus on the Russell Westbrook trade. I think at the time you were much like me and that you weren't a fan of the trade for Houston. 54 games in now, have your thoughts changed or do you still
1: dislike it for Houston? It's about what I expected, right? Like the idea is Russ has been killing it over the last two months. So now it's like, Oh, they figured it out. And it's like, I always expected them to figure it out at some point. Like, I picked them to win over 55 games this season. I picked them to finish with the second-best record in the Western Conference. Like, they were going to put up these kind of situations. Like, they were going to put up a big record, okay? And they're still going to do that. They have a chance. You know, if they go on a run here, they can get back into, like, 50-plus range, right? They can get there to where they're going to be, like, 52, 54, 55. And that's great. Um, the questions are going to be about the playoffs. Like, it's going to be about the playoffs. And... Um, you know Russ's history I it takes a lot you have unique context to understand in 2017 he really was just outgunned there was no chance for them in that series um, in 2018 um, when they lost to the jazz um that really was a matter of like Russ ruined that series Russ took the rubio thing personally and let that distract him and got way too into his head and that really cost him and 2019 was honestly paul george was hurt and if paul george isn't hurt that series probably goes differently um they were like they did they played the worst possible defense on damian lillard who went nuts credit to him um again, versus the worst possible coverage you can provide. I don't know what they were... Like, I talked to somebody with OKC, and they are like, yeah, we're not entirely sure what happened defensively. Um, And then Paul George was hurt, okay? So, like, Russ's failures in the playoffs do deserve a little bit of consideration. But I still have this feeling that when you play them in a series, eventually it's going to come down to teams saying, we're not going to let Harden beat us. We're not going to let Russ drive to the rim. If anybody else takes a jumper, that's fine. Anybody else. If Robert Covington scores 30 on us, hat tip to him. Good job. If Eric Gordon averages 35 on us in a series, what else can you say? Good job, Eric Gordon. If PJ Tucker scores 20, hey, what a vet. Good job knocking down the shots. And if Russ hits those threes and those mid-range jumpers, hey, you know what? Good job on Russ for stepping up and hitting shots. But like, they're going to try and take away harden the way that teams drag his efficiency down over the course of a series even though he puts up volume numbers and they're going to try and take away russ westbrook drives to the rim now they won't be totally successful because harden and westbrook are amazing but the question is like can they be efficient enough and can those other guys hit enough shots to complete this plan and that's where i think we get into the matchups question of it depends on who they face
0: yeah, I'm with you. My thoughts are still kind of the same on the trade. I was someone who thought Chris Paul was due for a bounce back season and Houston I felt like Houston kind of, sort of jumped the gun there. Going back to the matchup things, uh, this is something we talked about. I remember the floor spacing element being a huge subject of conversation and now the Rockets have kind of flipped that on their head by doing this small ball thing for 48 minutes a game. I'm I'm not sure how that's going to how that's going to play out for for a, a seven-game series because again, Russ and even Harden hasn't had this kind of floor spacing for 48 minutes a game before. Like they, they just, like they've always had a traditional center at least close games out for them. And you know, you'd see it for stints. Like you'd see Jeremy Grant play center for a little bit, but it wasn't a long term thing with OKC. And that's what's got me interested in, in this kind of experiment again. Like I still view it uh, much like you as an experiment until proven otherwise. I think they would have been better better off with the defensive versatility of Paul and the shooting and the floor spacing. But the floor spacing element of that side of the trade has kind of been flipped a little bit in that the Rockets have kind of morphed around Weser Westbrook. They're, they're second in pace. They were 27th last year. They're playing to his strengths. They've taken the, the lane clogger out of the lane. Uh, and Russ has an open rim to the basket. The, this... This thing that teams are doing where they're having their big man guard Westbrook is interesting to me. The game where Gobert was guarding him for that first quarter was... It wasn't particularly successful, but I did notice that Russ took a lot of mid-range jumpers and he made it that time, but... Can he make that for a seven-game series? Is an interesting question to me. Utah in that in that game ran away from it really quick. I'm interested to see if a team tries if a team is disciplined enough. And maybe Utah again. You know, maybe they go back, they watch the film, and they say, "Yeah, we should have stuck to this for the entire game." I'm, I want to see if a team does that for an entire game. Have the rim protector guard Westbrook, and not deviate from it, and say if Westbrook hits his mid-range shots, hat tip to him. If he doesn't well this they're playing right into what we want to do
1: yeah I think um again I think it's so much it's going to depend on who they face right so um I think the Lakers are an interesting question right for what they're going to do because they want to drop like that's what they want to do is they want to drop and pick and roll coverage and if you do that they're going to like Harden's going to kill you like Harden's going to absolutely just denial you if, if you play drop yeah um but I think they'll probably do that because, like, L.A. seems like the kind of team that will be too arrogant to think that they need to change. Like, the, the honestly, the Thunder were like this with the Blazers. Um, and I'm not saying that the same thing will happen because the Lakers are much, 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 much better than that Thunder team was. But when you are very confident in your coverage, you're just like, we're not going to change what we do. We're not going to freak out, do a bunch of new stuff. We're just going to do what we do, and we're good enough, we'll win. And that is not how the playoffs work. Like, you need to be targeting the strengths of the opponent and forcing them into where their weaknesses. Like, that's how you win those series. So, like, I don't think that's very successful, but the question is going to be like, all right, they're playing the Lakers. Um they're probably going to have LeBron playing free safety. And that's probably effective because you can bring LeBron to help on Harden drives, overplay him a little bit up high, and then LeBron protects at the rim, right? And then with Russ, you're really talking about like probably KCP. And if Russ has a big series, they're probably going to live with it. Versus like Denver, Denver is likely to be like, okay, uh, we get absolutely killed by Harden, but that was because of Capella. So now... Like, we're just going to switch everything and we're going to put Tory Craig on Russell Westbrook off ball. And Tory gives Russell Westbrook nightmares. Like, Tory Craig does legitimately one of like, the top five jobs I've ever seen a guy do on Russ. And he's done it for four years now or three years now. Um, he does it really well. Um, within the context of all that, is well, then Harden's going to go off. Sure. But the reason that Denver got into the four way deal was because was, like, they needed to move Malik Beasley and Wancho Hernan Gomez for sure. They wanted to pick up a first-rounder so they can use it in a trade later. Absolutely. When they had a chance to get Clint Capella out of the Western Conference, they jumped on it. Like That was not an insignificant part of Denver's motivation because Denver could actually bring enough help on Harden. They couldn't do that and then protect the lob on Capella. When that becomes a kickout to Robert Covington – the problem is like Capella's finishing lobs like what sixty-five percent? Seventy percent? Like those are extremely high look percentages. Covington and, and Tucker are gonna have to shoot like forty to fifty percent on those corner threes in order to make the math work here. Um, but then you go to like the Clippers, and I think that the I think the formula switches again. Where I think that actually leans a lot more into what Houston wants. Like, it's fascinating in that I love what they did because they went all the way in. Um, my skepticism was about, like, not even skepticism. Like, I just think that there are trade-offs to what they did. I think that, and people close to Houston agree with this assessment, they are closer to the Lakers and the Clippers and probably the Bucks than they were before the trade. Utah and Denver are probably also closer to Houston now. The only difference is that Houston's very confident in, like, we talked about with these teams being confident in what they do. Like, Houston's confident that they're like, all right, so they're closer. We could still beat them. We have James Harden and Russell Westbrook. And, like, we're just going to be better than them. Even if this matchup problem isn't as much of an advantage for us, we're still going to be better. I'm not sure that's the case because I think one, two, three, four, five in the West are all about the same. I think they are about equal value of team.
0: Wait, so you don't think the Lakers have separated themselves a little bit?
1: No. So the Lakers have absolutely pounded the living dirt out of bad teams, okay? And when we look at, like, their record, it's good versus teams over 500 because they have this, like, they have the best record in the league uh, or in the West. They're 15-10 and 10 versus teams over 500. They're 26-2, versus teams under 500. So like look, it's hard to be over 500 versus teams over 500. Like it's hard to beat those teams more often than not. But a lot of that is like you're beating like Memphis who's over 500 or you're beating uh the Thunder, right, versus like the top end teams. Now like they're 2 and 1 versus Denver. Okay, but Denver took them to overtime and that was a competitive game. They're 0 and 2 to the Clippers. They're 0 and 1 to the Bucks. Like there's all these situations in which, like, the Lakers are not the. the well, the, the best way I can say is, like, the Lakers aren't the Bucks. Like, the Bucks are, have basically said, like, we have no cracks in our resume. Like, you could still say the Bucks may not win the title, but you're going to have to base that off of, like, nebulous, not ready for playoffs, not built for them, whatever. And not, like, you can't point to anything in the regular season and say, like, well, this is where the Bucks struggle versus the Lakers. Like, they're good. But they're not dominant. They are a really good team. They're the best team in the Western Conference. They're not dominant. And so, like, I think that the Lakers are susceptible to the Clippers, the Rockets, and the Mavericks. I think those three teams can give the Lakers trouble. Because the Lakers, they really get in trouble with the math problem. That's how Houston beat them after the trade. Uh, L.A. shot 50% from the field. And Houston won because they made 10 more threes. LA is bottom five in three point attempts per hundred possessions, and they shoot a decent amount, but it doesn't matter because they don't make enough of them. You can outpace them. And this was, I think, was a lot of why Houston went the direction they did. If Houston upsets the Lakers, it's gonna be on the back of their three point shooting. Like, and more so than the average, like the Rockets are always gonna shoot a lot of threes. But that's a big tactical advantage they have in that. Like the Rockets are only going to take layups and threes like zero of anything else and mostly threes. And in doing so, they can overcome the Lakers efficiency by just outpacing them three for two every time. So that to me is like a matchup that I think that they have. The Lakers are not the Lakers are great and the Lakers can win the title. The Lakers are the best team in the Western Conference. They're not. uh, They're not invincible.
0: Yeah, and I actually liked what the Clippers did at the deadline in getting Marcus Morris and obviously Really? Well, yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm a fan of Marcus Morris and I I think he matches up well with LeBron and I we we saw that in some of the Eastern Conference series. Um I'm not sure where they're going to find spots to play all these guys. Like I I think, you know, there's there's obviously a minutes issue there and I think Going into the season, I was a fan of what the Clippers had versatility wise defensively, and I thought the athleticism was great, and they were just a team that I thought was. Clearly, head and shoulders above the rest of the Western Conference. They haven't played to that level yet, but I, I do think you have to give them some excuse because they had they haven't had Paul George and Kawhi play, you know, for extended stretches together, and they have had this this load management thing. But I'm with you with the Denver thing. Like these were conversations I was having in the Toyota Center after the trade. Like um, Clint Capella was a big problem for them, and his athleticism and his ability to run in transition was another element. Like. He was just way faster than any other center in the NBA and the Rockets just lost that. They, they are now betting on instead of that help defense coming from coming to help Harden out and the Rockets getting an open dunk, they're betting that that open 3% that open three point shooter that comes and helps on Harden's pick and roll uh, will hit a high a high enough percentage to compensate for that. And I'm not sure if that's going to be good enough. We'll see. Like that's a pretty high percentage shot you're giving up there with Capella and uh, but the, you're you're also getting the floor spacing element that that also helps compensate for it. You're you're also getting Westbrook in an open space, and that helps a lot in what the Rockets are trying to do offensively. Defensively is where I struggle to buy in because the Rockets are betting on forced turnovers making up for the rebounding advantage they're going to give up every night. And you know, like this is a very new school, very controversial way of thinking of defense. I still am not. All the way there yet, though it did work towards the second half of last season. And this was something I actually talked to you about and a couple other people. Like, I was skeptical in how they were getting to their defensive numbers at the second half of last year, but they were doing it, and they were doing it off of forced turnovers. I'm not sure if that's a. If the Rockets looked at that and said, you know what, we can do that for 82 games, we can do that in a playoff setting, we don't need Clint Capel anymore. We can. We'll lose the rebounding battle every night, but we're gonna win the turnover battle by a lot, and we're gonna we're gonna become a good defense that way. That to me is the biggest element of this. Like the the reason I still have the Lakers, the Clippers. And even the Nuggets ahead of the Rockets right now, it's because you know they're they're fifteenth in defense. Like you you can't, you can't be fifteenth in defense and legitimately call yourself a true contender to make the NBA finals. Like I think the Rockets in this second half run, they have to climb up to at least tenth at some point. And I'm not sure if forced turnovers turnovers are going to get you there. I'm I'm interested to see how they do defensively in this closing stretch. They're tw- they have the twenty fourth strength of schedule remaining. So that's interesting. I they haven't been able to take advantage of weak teams to start the season. So I wanna see if they if they're able to kill like the Golden States, the Clevelands, the you know the bad teams in the NBA and legitimately mount up a good a good stretch of games. That to me is the biggest element in Houston going all in on small ball. Like that gamble is something that I'm not sure if it's gonna pay off, but that's that's what they're betting on.
1: Yeah, I would caution against the the bad teams. One thing that I've kind of come to understand is Houston is going to play some bad team in March, and they're going to play the best basketball they've played all season. They did this versus the Hawks the last two years. Like, they have played games versus the Hawks the last two years. I think they were done with the Hawks this year. But where I watched those games and was like, this is the best basketball I've ever seen Houston play. Like, it was incredible. And most of that's because, like, Houston's garbage. But it was also, like— something about the matchup just made Houston home at such a frequency that was incredible, but you're never going to get there. Like the teams are too good defensively in the playoffs. Even if you have advantages, you're talking about margins. Like it's about like 46% versus 44% versus 42%. Like that's what we're really talking about. You know, it's funny because like Utah, I think got probably closer to him. But the big thing that I've been kind of saying is like, look, a lot of this is Utah still probably can't beat them because Gobert can't post up. And post-ups are not efficient. Like, I'm not a person that believes in, like, the post-up anymore uh, as part of the modern NBA offense because nobody's really that good at him. Like, there's only a handful of guys who score over .9 points per possession, which is the range that you kind of got to be at in order to keep pace with the rest of your offense. Gobert can't do it. Like, he's just not. He doesn't have the skill set. If they switch and put James Harden on him, James Harden's going to win that post-up matchup. However, Denver – Denver will absolutely take that switch and put Nikola Jokic in the post versus James Harden. As good as James Harden is in the post, Nikola Jokic is better. Like, he will – if they do that and Jokic has the mindset, which he may not because Jokic sometimes opts for the right play versus the smart play. um, But if he commits – sometimes he just is like, I'm going to beat this matchup to death. I'm just going to beat this matchup down. And if he does that, like, Jokic is going to put up 40-45. And that's really tough to overcome when he's drawing fouls and causing mayhem. With uh, as well as when you bring help, he's going to be passing to cutters and shooters. So, like that to me is a real problem. On the flip side, though, um, a sneaky guy that's actually not that you will live with in the post a little bit is Anthony Davis. The numbers are really good on Davis in the post, but the reality is that Davis doesn't like to bang down low. Like he wants to just like give you like a little bit of a bump and then shoot like a turnaround fadeaway. That's an inefficient shot. And Harden can defend that pretty well, and Covington can defend that pretty well. And if that's the setup, then, like, the Rockets are going to take that most of the time. Like, you live with that over whatever it is that Dwight, you know, that that LeBron can do. Like, you're taking that every single time. So there are these ways that they can win these matchup advantages. Another way is, like, um, the Clippers are pretty pass-heavy. Like, they want to always kind of go for the home run ball. That leads to a lot of deflections. So I think there's probably, like, an opportunity there for the— Rockets to really get in the passing lane there. Like Denver's a pass-heavy offense as well. So those deflection numbers really do start to matter in those situations. Like It's close. It's just such an uphill battle. And at the end of all of this, it's still going to come down to P.J. Tucker, Robert Covington, Ben McLemore, and Daniel House making threes. Those guys are going to have to make threes. They're going to have to make them in volume, and they're going to have to make them efficiently. And if they do not do that in three out of seven games, they can win one with just Harden or Westbrook. But if they do not get those kinds of shooting performances, they're not going to make it out of the second round.
0: All right, we're now going to take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor, Bet Online. Bet online the fastest and easiest way to bet on all things sports. March Madness, the Masters, and Major League Opening Day are right around the corner. Bet online has you covered for all your latest news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. The best part is when you sign up, you receive a 50% welcome bonus. The Wilder Fury rematch goes down this Saturday night. We can't think of a better way to wager on the fight than doing it with actual free money. Head over to BetOnline.ag and use our promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your 50%. Percent welcome bonus on your first deposit. We signed up, it's super easy, and if you're already in a betting, it's a fantastic way to support this podcast. Again, that's promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word when you sign up at betonline.ag. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Yeah, and that post up element is really interesting to me because. You're finding that even the smartest teams, they just cannot help themselves in posting up P.J. Tucker or James Harden or Russell Westbrook. Like, they they just... Like, even Boston heading into that matchup uh, before the All-Star break, like, Brad Stevens was like, we are not going to get out of our offense to play to Houston strengths. Like, we know they're like linebackers. We're not going to post them up. And in the first quarter, you had Enos Kanter posting up P.J. Tucker, like it's just a natural instinct as a, as a basketball player, you're starting to see these big men post up uh, their mismatches. And that is get, more often than not, it's going to lead to, as you said, an inefficient, an inefficient inefic- 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 shot or a steal or a turnover or just something that Houston wants. And, that's another element of the tri- of the Robert Covington trade that I think that Houston is, you know, kind of putting all their chips into. Like they can switch again. They're able to switch one through five defensively again. They're able to force turnovers. They're able to force these contested post-up shots. And like I, I think I think when they lost Trevor Ariza and Luke Mbaamute, they quickly realized they they weren't able to do that anymore. And over the past year and a half, they've kind of You know, cobbled together some switch defenders in in House, in Covington, in McLemore. And I guess the idea here is that they can finally do that again and play to their comfort level defensively.
1: Yeah, so the linebacker concept is specifically built to beat the slip, right? Like you run a high pick and roll, the big slips, uh, the guard delivers a, a bullet pass or a bounce pass to the slip, and before the switch can occur, the big is running in space. Let's say it's Anthony Davis, um, and so he catches it from LeBron, and he's going at the rim. And then there's Covington and Tucker there to play as like linebackers and then recover out. That actually works with the Lakers because if you if you come up front and Davis doesn't shoot the floater, which he can and he's pretty good at, and that's your kind of danger. If he kicks the sideways past the corners, you have just won the possession. If Danny Green, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, or Avery Bradley are taking three-pointers from the corners, you have just won. Because LeBron James and Anthony Davis didn't shoot. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a win. Like, on every single possession in a playoff series, it goes in or not, you're just like, okay. And if, you know what, if Danny Green is going to hit, like, five threes in a game, and that's going to really irritate you. But if you have that, if in that same game, uh, Ben McElmore hits five or six, you've just no, you've neutralized it, Right. Mm -hmm. um so a lot of that works I think one of the problems is like um again I keep getting back to like Denver because what Denver's going to do in that situation is Denver's going to be like okay well the bag's going to slip now Jamal Murray may not be able to get the pass there because Jamal Murray's bad under pressure but if Jamal Murray gets the pass there and you bring the help in from those linebacker positions they're not just going to take the corner three Uh, Gary Harris, Will Barton, or Michael Porter Jr. are going to drive. And now your defense is trying to compensate by making multiple rotations. And now all of a sudden, Jokic is like slipped in there and he's got rebounding position. And that's where the offensive rebounding hurts you. Um, So like Denver specifically, I think, is a problem. But look, Denver may not play Houston at all. Right. And if Harden just does what he always does to to the Nuggets, which is just obliterate them, then they're in the clear anyway. Uh, but if it's like if Houston winds up in the four five versus Utah, that's not a bad lie. Like, it's really not. Everyone's going to be like, oh, they have to face the Lakers second round. No, no, no. You have to go through the Lakers at some point anyway. If you don't face the Lakers in the second round, you got to face them in the third. We went through this whole thing with the Warriors last year, and I get the idea that like, oh, but if they made it to the Western Conference Finals, the Warriors would have been injured. Well, we don't know if Kevin Durant gets hurt if he doesn't play Houston. Like, the chaos sequence gets all out of whack. The point is, I don't think 4-5 is bad if you get to play Houston. If it's 4-5 versus the Clippers, all right, that's a little rougher. If it's 4-5 versus Denver, that's even fine, too. Like, I don't think that there's a lie where where Houston has to feel bad about where they're going. Like, their upside for the playoffs is still high um, because of their variance. Like, they increased their variance by a lot. Their ceiling's a lot higher. Um, the only concern I would really have is, like, if Houston goes on a run in the second half of the season and they make the two seed and Dallas finish the seventh, I'm concerned. Because the only, like, a really easy way to beat Houston is make more threes than them. And there are only a handful of teams in the world that can do that. And the Dallas Mavericks are one of them. And now, like, that would be scary to me is having Luka and shooters with Porzingis against this concoction – I think is a little worrisome. So they're they're like they're way more upset, vulnerable, but they're also way more likely to make the finals. And that's probably and like that's absolutely worth it. Like I think that that was the formula um, that they looked at was like, okay, we're probably not as good against the teams that we were favored against, but we should still be favored in our eyes. And against the teams that we think we were dogs, we're probably a coin flip, and we'll take that.
0: Yeah, and for what it's worth, like, I think the Rockets were struggling to find their identity with Rustbrook before they made this trade. And I feel like they found it, and they actually believe in what they're doing organizationally. Like, from top to bottom, like, Mike loves this. Like, whenever you bring up offensive rebounds to Mike, he's like, yeah, but can you score on us again? Like. Yeah. Like, that's the most important stat here. Like, second chance points is even more important to us than the offensive rebounding stats. We're going to give those up. But can you score on us that second possession? We think we can defend well enough to where it won't matter. And, you know, that's the real test here. Uh, can can teams really beat up on Houston on, on the glass and then take advantage of I that? Don't,
1: I don't know who can do that. Like, I don't, you know, Montrez Harrell can probably hurt you with, with in that respect. Kawhi's a really good offensive rebounder, right? So like that's going to hurt, but like Kawhi's great. Like, you lose a Kawhi Leonard and you're just like, well, he's Kawhi Leonard. <laughs> like, yeah. what are you going to do? Yeah. Um, you know, like Jokic is going to be good in that aspect, but the Nuggets have not been a good offensive rebounding team all season. The Nuggets haven't been a good rebounding team this season. So like, I don't know that that's necessarily like a dangerous category. The Lakers are really great in that aspect, but so much of that is Dwight Howard And I don't know if Dwight can stay on the floor if you're playing five out because you really are just giving up wide open threes. Like, like I said, like it's a really fascinating gambit that they're taking on. Um, I don't know if I hope it works. Like that feels like too strong. Um, I will say that I I have sustainability questions with it. I think the playoffs are good because you're going to have a in the first round you'll have days where you go two days without a game before your your next one. Like that happens routinely in the first round. After the first round, it's every other day. You're playing every other day through the rest of the playoffs. And that day of rest helps, but God, watching these guys and the effort that they have to put in defensively, this is taxing. Like it's there's gonna be nights in the playoffs when it's like um, you know, game two, game four at home, even if they don't have home court advantage, game six in a closeout where like they don't have the legs. And that's, that to me is like a real concern because it's exhausting what they're trying to do. Oh, it, yeah. it really is. And like, you know, it's, it's basically saying like, all right, guys, this is the challenge. Are you up for this? And, you know, PJ Tucker's like, let's go. Like, let's bring it on. You know, like this is what we're doing. Okay, let's go. But part of that too is like, look, if you want this to work, that also means that James and Russ are going to have to try. Mm-hmm. Like you're, you, you are not getting away with half ass efforts from them. It can't happen. They can't take possessions off anymore. Like you got to be locked in on every single one. This is what it's going to take. If you're going to go this route, you can, you can do it, but everybody's going to have to be locked in and everybody's going to have to be at that level. And that's like, that's a high bar. Like That's a really high bar for them to get to. Um, Yeah.
0: Yeah, it does take a high degree of effort to play what they're doing right, to play the way they're doing right now, and make up for that size discrepancy. And in the games that they don't have their legs, you you can see they're just gonna get bludgeoned. Like that Phoenix game, that back to back, they just they just got destroyed. Like DeAndre Aiden was killing them in that first half, and like it just continued on. And then they, you know, you saw guys like Kelly Rube go off because the Rockets just they forfeited. They they didn't have it anymore, and. That's kind of my. That's also a question of mine too. Like, can James not take those possessions off? Can he on the weak side? Is he going to keep? Is he? Is he going to keep an eye on his man? Is he going to stay with him? Is he going to make those switches? Is he? Is he going to? Is he going to deny big men? Like, because that's that's a big element of this. When Anthony Davis does does get the ball in the post, is he going to come in and is he going to careen in and try to make that double team, or is he going to let his guy? you know, make an easy cut and have Anthony Davis make that pass. I don't know. Uh, that's going to be really interesting to close the season out well, and into the playoffs. And, like,
1: one well, part of that, too, is um, Rockets fans feel very confident because they're like, ha, 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 James Harden's a sneaky great defender. Bring it on! Except that the smart teams are not going to do that. What the smart teams are going to do is the smart teams are going to say, let's switch off-ball, let's make them switch off ball and let's get Harden on a cutter and then let's slash that guy or bring him off of a screen. Because when, when Harden disconnects off ball, it gets to be a much bigger problem. Like I'm not as worried about Harden on ball as I am about him off. Like that's like one of the, the, the key kind of things here is like if Harden, um, let's say that they hide Harden on Jamichael green. Sure. Okay. Um, they're The Clippers are – if Doc smart, the Clippers are going to run action with Lou Williams off ball with Lou and, and Michael Green trying to get that switch. Now, they can reject it. They can reject the screen, and that's fine. But they'll keep doing that in the hopes of the Rockets switch to get Lou onto James Harden, and then Lou's running off ball, not with the ball still because Harden's good on ball but he's coming off of screens and Harden's lagging behind. And now all of a sudden Lou Williams has got an open three. Like that's where James really goes to hell is like, if you just, if you force James into a situation where he's got to run on defense from court to court, from cross court to cross court through screens, he is just going to lag behind. He's going to give up about halfway through. And then you're going to have open threes. And that's like, that's a problem. But I will say this too. Like, look, um, the Clippers are one of the only teams that can do that. The Nuggets can't go small. Paul Millsap and Jeremy Grant have to be on the floor the entire time because of how their team is constructed. They will not go smaller than that. Um, Utah can, and that's an interesting one, right? Is like if they put him if they decide to hide Harden on Ingles, Ingles is going to work him off ball. He's going to make him go through everything. So like the 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 Jazz can go Mitchell, Conley, Bogdanovich, Ingles, bear. Like, that's their preferred. They're going to give up a lot of points to Harden because Royce O'Neal not on the court. But, like, that's what they'll do. So, like, that's going to be the real key is, like, can both Harden and Westbrook on switches either reject them or can they keep up off ball when they start targeting that way? Because, like, everyone just kind of assumes, like, oh, we're going to hunt down Harden. I don't know if that's going to happen as much with when they're switching as it is going to be like let's just move him off ball and then punish him that way because that's much that's a much easier tactic to get James to slip.
0: Yeah, and you saw it in that Lakers game where Danny Green absolutely killed Harden on these back cuts. He just Harden could not stay in front of him. It wasn't the three pointers; it was the back cuts. And then when he would when he would get open, he would he would get an open three pointer. It, it was one of those things where like if you just stay active enough off the ball. You're gonna get him. Like at one point of the game, you're gonna get him. Even if he's playing good defense, you're just gonna. There's gonna be a possession where he's where he's not, and you're gonna get him. And the the Rockets really have to make make that a ten percent play instead of a thirty to forty percent play. Because if it's a thirty to forty percent play, they're not winning playoff series. They're just not. Like that's that's gonna. They they can't defend it at high enough level to make up for that rebounding disadvantage. And Harden has to be engaged, And, and same with Russ. Russ has to stay engaged off the ball as well. Um, we have to talk about this. So the Rockets, it looks like over the weekend, they're going to sign Demari Carroll and Jeff Green over the next couple of days. Uh, in fact, the Jeff Green signing was made official today. Let's start with Carroll. Does he have anything left in the take to contribute, or is it wise to say, since the Spurs gave him little playing time this season and bought him out with over $10 million remaining on his contract and a couple of years remaining, that he's closer to done than he is to being a contributing NBA player?
1: Um, I think some of it, like, look, a lot of it is we're finding out that guys just aren't made for the Spurs' way. I think a lot of guys are having hard times with, like, the way that the Spurs do things because they're not good either. Like, it's a lot easier to sacrifice and, and do all the things the Spurs ask of you when you're winning. It's a lot harder when you're under 500 watching LaMarcus Aldridge hoist up mid-range jumpers all the time. Like, the the math gets to be really tricky. I don't necessarily think that DeMar—like, DeMar's had—he's had health injuries the whole way. Um, It's—I think it's probably, like, a concern. But I will also say this, like, look— um, I've been covering the league for 12 years. I've seen a lot of Mike D'Antoni teams. I've seen a lot of Mike D'Antoni teams. I am a huge D'Antoni fan. Uh, I talked to him a couple of years ago for a feature, and it was great. He's one of my favorite coaches to talk to. Um, I've, I've wanted him to win a title with Phoenix. I was happy that Golden State credited him. I wanted him to win in 2018. Like, I have nothing but the best respect and love for Mike D'Antoni. Love everything about him. Um, I say that to say this. He's not going to play (laughs) 9-D. Okay? We're going to get to 7, maybe 8, and that's it. Like, he's just not going to change. It's going to be House, Tucker, Covington, Harden, Westbrook, Rivers, and one more. It can be Ben McElmore. It can be Jeff Green. It can be Damari Carroll. It can be – it won't be Tyson Chandler. um, It could be Thabo. Probably not Isaiah Hardenstein, even though I think that he probably deserves some minutes. Um, But that's it. Like, he's going to go seven. He always goes seven. He will go no more than eight. That's it. Like, he has proven this over and over and over again. Eric Gordon's in there, too. Um, Like, he's not going to go nine deep. So these guys don't really matter. They just don't. Like, they're good to have in case somebody gets injured. But the problem is, like, even when D'Antoni's had injuries, he just shortens the rotation. He just – like, he just lops out that guy and gives the minutes to all the other guys he was already playing. It drives me crazy. But this is, like, the big – this has always been the big hole in Mike's entire philosophy is he just – he wants the guys that do what he wants and are the best on the floor at all times without ever really considering that by giving guys a rest, you're going to get better minutes later. And he's never willing to make that concession. And I see nothing to suggest that he is like, again, house, Tucker, Covington, Harden, Westbrook, Macklemore, Gordon, and probably Austin rivers. That's like the eight. And if they get anybody else in the rotation, I would be surprised. I don't think like regular season. Sure. But once the playoffs begin, if they get to, if they get to eight, I'll be surprised. I think he'll probably be seven because that's just the way that he goes.
0: Yeah, and I don't even feel like asking about Jeff Green because I feel like we do this dance, this song and dance with him every few years. Like every t- every fan base is convinced that their system is going to help fix him and he will thrive and he will thrive playing this way. And it, I, I am a little bit curious to see how he, how he plays as a center, as a full time center. Like that's what he's going to be for the for the Rockets. He's not going to play any other position other than center. But in all honesty, like I. I just don't have that much confidence in any anything working out with him. But the Carroll well, thing is interesting with Tabo Cefalosha taking up these backup center minutes because it seems like that's what the Rockets have settled on. And I'm not sure if you trust thirty five year old Tabo Cephalosha playing heavy playoff minutes at backup center, but I, I am interested at of Damari, you know, at that at that position.
1: It's funny that you think that because, like, I I don't really think much of Damari, but I actually, like, Jeff Green was really good in 2018. Um, It was on a Cavs team that was a freaking train wreck. The entire season just parts spiraling off, like, on fire, like, there's sewage coming out of the sides and fountains. It was a train wreck, okay? Um, But... (laughs) But beneath all of that, Jeff Green was legitimately good. And he wasn't just good in a he-put-up-numbers way. Like, the plus-minus numbers finally for him turned. You just had to put him next to LeBron James, and finally Jeff Green was a plus player. Um, but look, like James Harden is an, is an elite player. Russell Westbrook's an elite player. He's got familiarity with those guys. Um, the, I think that Jeff Green is probably—I think you're probably underrating what Jeff Green can do. I say that with a caveat that I don't expect him to play because I already went over why. But, like, if he's got to play, I have more faith in him than I do Damari Carroll because Damari also sometimes has, like, some problems with decision-making. And I feel like Jeff Green's decision-making at this point in his career, like, he knows, like, he's a role player. He's a fringe guy. He needs to do what he's told. He'll do it. He'll take the three when it's open. He'll help down when he needs to. He won't blow assignments. He'll be fine.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. He is signing a 10 day contract, so I, I I am interested to see if if yeah he, we'll if, see if
1: he even sticks
0: around. Yeah. yeah. Um. Well, let's end on this. So you you mentioned we we talked a lot about the Lakers, Jazz, and Nuggets. I'm interested to see among those five Western Conference teams that that you listed. Where do the Rockets stack up to you? Because I still have the Lakers, Clippers, and even the Nuggets at this point. I, I still think those three teams are better, and I would probably take those three teams in a playoff series over Houston. I'm not completely there with Denver, but I think I'm there. Utah, I, I, that's the only team where I'm like, yeah, I, I, I think Houston, I think Houston can, can win the series. Where where do you stand on on those five teams?
1: So, I think the problem is like I don't. I don't think there are tiers here. Um, I think there are. They're all in the same tier with different probabilities of getting out. Um, the Lakers and Clippers are probably thirty-five to forty percent each. Um, let's say thirty-five because it feels low. Putting everybody else in the same in the in the tiny thirty uh, percent or in like twenty percent. I'll say 35%. So, like, the Clippers and Lakers have a 35% chance of coming out of the West, I think. Um, like, more a little better than one out of three times those teams are coming out of the West. Okay? Uh, combined, it's better than two out of three times. Right? That's really good probability. Sure. Um, I think that Denver pro- – or Houston probably encapsulates a solid 15% of the remaining 30%. I think it's probably – uh, Lakers 35%, Clippers 35%, Rockets 15%, Denver 10%, uh, Utah 5. That's where I think I would I would kind of put it. Um, if it goes Lakers, because Lakers are going to win the one seed. They have two big, I already looked at this today, they're two fought, ho, high up in the lost column with too few games remaining. Uh, they have two one tiebreaker over Denver. The Clippers have our... Have, are 2-0 oh against them but are too far back and they're going to rest manage. They're not catching them. The Lakers are getting the 1. Okay, uh, If it goes Lakers, Rockets, Clippers, Nuggets, Jazz, the Rockets, I think, are making the Western Conference Finals. I think they could beat the Clippers. I think they could beat whoever's in the 6. Uh, I think that they're going to—or they're gonna, in the 7. I think they're going to wind up— in the Western Conference Finals versus the Lakers. And that's going to be like – it's going to be a coin flip. I really think it's a coin flip. I like the Clippers – I like the Rockets quite a bit versus the Clippers. Um, I like them quite a bit versus the Lakers. Like, I'm – as a, a guy who does betting at Action Network, uh, they're going to be big dogs, the Lakers, like huge dogs. And I'm probably going to wind up laying money on the, on the Rockets to win just based off of um, – the probabilities of it, like the number is going to be too good for me to pass up. They're going to be like, you know, plus 500 or something. And that's going to be like just too juicy for a team I think has matchup advantages. But if it goes, you know, Lakers, Jazz, Clippers, Rockets, Nuggets, that path is a lot harder. Like that's that's a lot tougher road to go through. Um, and all these things are, are really going to, again, so much of it just depends on if, One of their guys, one of them, Ben McElmore, Austin Rivers, Eric Gordon, P.J. Tucker, Robert Covington, one of those guys shoots red hot, 48% from three for two rounds. They can make the finals. That's what they need. They need one guy to be the outlier. They never get it. It's always like shooting slumps. The Rockets have terrible, terrible – and some of this is like – the way defenses play them, and how hard and how exhausting it is, and like there's stuff that goes into it. Um, the other thing I'll say is I don't like to buy into narratives, but this is the reality. Harden's going to have to play better than he's ever played in his life. Like that's just that's just it. Uh, his numbers are very good for the playoffs. You can make all sorts of arguments about how good James has been statistically. His impact never matches up with the regular season. He has to be the most impactful guy on the floor if they're going to make a run. That has to happen. There's just no way around it. They they cannot do it otherwise. As good as Russ is, teams are going to find ways to neutralize Russ a lot easier than Harden because Harden's more skilled. Like James needs to start resting, and James needs to be able to give his absolute best performances of his career in the second and third rounds. If they do that, they can make the finals
0: yeah it's it's statistically like incorrect to suggest that james harden's efficiency doesn't drop in the playoffs like that's just it's just true like he just his energy waxes and wanes as the series goes on defenses get more sophisticated and tighter on him uh they start figuring some things out uh i, I it's I, hard <laughs> yeah it is it is it's hard uh and I, I it is interesting to see teams like the jazz try funky defenses on him and and commit to it for a seven game series uh like i i do think like the jazz didn't get enough credit to ha- just how inefficient Harden was in that first round series and how yeah. well Chris Paul played. And I, I think your point about the role players is interesting because I, I I do think one of these days you're going to get a role player that does go off for them. Like Eric Gordon is due for a huge series with the Rockets. Like he's just, he's just due. He, he needs to have at least one of these series. He, he's, he's, as to, like for his career, he's a thirty-seven percent career three-point shooter, and I feel like he's going to have one of those series. Your confidence in the Rockets against the Lakers and, and Clippers a little bit higher than mine's, but I do think uh, against bigger teams like the Lakers and Jazz, the Rockets uh, they they just they're just way different from any other team. Those two teams are going to play in the Western Conference, so I do think that might work in their favor. But I think the last point you made was pretty salient. The most important thing that matters in these last 25 games is how the Western Conference standing shakes up because it's all about matchup. And if you get a favorable matchup, you have a much easier pathway to make the Western Conference finals. All right, Matt, where can we follow you on Twitter and read all your
1: work? You can follow me on Twitter at HP Basketball. You can catch me on the Action Network. We've got a great app. Download it. It's the fastest thing you're going to find for tracking scores. It's got all sorts of gambling information on there, as well as my analysis across and like just general sports fun stuff. Um, but it's also like if you're just trying to track games, you're going to get the best stats. I've actually timed it. Our stats feed is ahead of the national TV broadcast. So if you want to wow. like be up to the second with your numbers when you're looking at it, when you're trying to track games, check out the Action Network app.
0: Well, I will be doing that. Uh, thank you so much for coming on, Matt. Thanks for having me. All right, that was Matt Moore. You can follow him on Twitter at HP Basketball. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Make sure to follow me on Twitter if you're not already doing so, at Solomon NBA. Give us five stars on iTunes if you enjoyed the show. And yeah, guys, good night.